OCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a return guest, Julian O'Neill. Now, Julian told us a few weeks ago on the podcast all about his journey to CFO and how he ended up working for big brands, but has ended up in a much smaller company in the world of machine hire. Julian, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Nice to see you again. Julian, we've got a fascinating subject today. I believe it's all called P equals P minus I. But beyond that, I haven't got a clue what we're talking about. It's a fascinating topic, Kevin, and one that you know nothing at all about. So hopefully your fascination will remain after we've spoken about it. Let me give you the outline of it. And there were a few people who joined the last session that Dan and I had where I brought this topic up. And it's funny, I mean, I, I've been on lots and lots of training courses, and I'm, and I'm sure many people who listen to the Grow CFO podcast have also you know, done that. There's not many. In fact, I can probably count them on the fingers of one hand where you really remember something. You know, you, at the time you experience various models. I've normally got four boxes or a you know, sine curve chart or something. There's only a couple where you think, well, that, that makes some sense. The one that really sticks in my mind, and it was, it came from a coaching course that I went on at Pizza Hut, which must have been uh, 2003, 2004. So we're now talking, oh my God, like 20 years ago. The objective of the course was train the trainer. So effectively, we had a couple of expert coaches who were teaching the Pizza Hut senior management team, and I was IT director at the time, how to coach so that we could then train the junior managers how to coach all the way down the organization. So it was a, a couple of days event. We went through lots and lots of exercises about you know feedback and listening and all the various good stuff about coaching. There was one model that stuck in my mind, and it is if you do some research on the web, it is it's kind of described as core to coaching. I didn't realize it at the time, but um, it is, and it simply is P equals P minus I. What does that actually mean, and and why is it important? So the first P is performance. In other words, how someone operates, behaves, how productive they are at work. The second P is potential. So I think it's pretty obvious all of us have different types of potential. You know, some of us have great potential in one area. Some have great potential in other areas. I think we're all very different. We all know that. And the I is interference. So interference can be anything, really. So what does it actually mean and how do I use it? It's a very simple formula. Stick it on the side of your pad. Basically, what it says is, if you want to try and get good performance out of your staff, and that's normally what a manager or a leader or a director or CFO or whatever wants to do, normally we focus on how do we push performance? How do we get people to perform better? And it's sort of pushing on the wrong end of the formula. So that what this formula tries to do is say, if you think about performance, you've got to pick the right potential. So that's all about recruitment. That's all about making sure you get the right person for the job with the right attributes, the right attitude, the right skill set. But really what gets in the way and what subtracts from that potential is interference. As a manager, leader, CFO, director, whatever, your job really is, assuming you've done the second P, which is to recruit the right sort of person, is focused on the interference. Does that make sense, Kevin? That makes a lot of sense. So we're saying that, okay, we've got a member of the team who is 
really great at something. We're asking them to do something. They have got, let's think about exams, and they've got a potential to get an A in the exam. Their predicted grade is an A. But the real exam comes along, and they end up with a C. And the C is because they didn't get the revision done. They didn't get the revision done because a whole load of other stuff went on that prevented them. Interference. Yeah, that's sort of post-fact. But if you think about uh, an employee's performance in the workplace, so an employee comes to work every day with a certain attitude and a certain skill set, normally there are things that get in the way. Now, if you take that example, which which is a decent one, you know, a student who's studying for an exam and the potential is they can get an A, but the performance is a, is a C. Well, there could be a whole bunch of reasons for that. It could be that, you know, when they were studying, there was a dog barking in the background and they just couldn't concentrate. Yeah, that might be one thing. It might be that they didn't have the right... <laughs> it might be that they didn't have the right, um, the right tutor. It might be that their room was too hot. It might be that their computer was too slow. It might be that they didn't attend the revision courses. All of those things. So what the P equals P minus I tells you to do is don't kind of worry too much about the performance. It's a natural consequence of recruiting the right people with the right attitude and skill set. But more importantly, focus on what is getting in people's way. One example or analogy that was given to me ages ago, think about a car. So a car is a mechanical object, and I'm not trying to you know, contextualize humans as being mechanical objects. But if you think through the process, over time, a car's performance will decline. It still has the potential, I could argue, it's still got the same engine, the same tyres. It has interference. It might be that the air filter's blocked. It might be that the oil needs replacing. It might be that the spark plugs need replacing. It might be, you know, something else in that engine is interfering with its performance. What you don't do is just push the car harder. What you don't do is you buy a new engine. What you do is you look at the bits of interference and say, well, can I change the oil? Can I change the air filter? Can I change the spark plugs? And lo and behold, if what happens, the performance improves. So I think the way in which I employ it is consistently, I think, what is getting in the way of my team or my people. So one of the things I do as an example, most management meetings, and we tend to have management meetings once a month. I mean, people have them quarterly or weekly, whatever. And at a certain point in time, I think weekly is too frequently, but if you take monthly or quarterly as an example, I will ask my team, what can we do to make everybody's working environment better? Now, it might be, do you know what? The light in the office is terrible. We need to, you know, put LED light bulbs on. It might be, we need to go on a training course to understand a bit more about something. It might be, someone might say, well, I've got somebody in my team who's really disrupting things. There is interference everywhere in an organisation. And the reason I ask that question is because then I can have a list of things I can go and tackle and I'm taking away the interference all the time. And every time I do that, there is something that comes up. And when something comes up and you deal with it, people's performance improves every time. I think it also links to a couple of other themes that I probably have in my mind when I'm thinking about people. One is we've all done development reviews or end-of-year reviews or performance reviews. And years and years ago, it used to be divided into strengths and weaknesses, sort of moved on to being strengths and development points and then strengths and coaching points. But, But really what it comes down to is there's some stuff you're really good at and there's some stuff you're not so good at. Sometimes that sort of P, P, P equals P minus I link. The focus really should be on how do I accentuate the strengths? Because you and I and everybody else who's listening to this podcast goes to work with their certain natural strengths. And then there are some 
development points or challenges that people generally find quite hard to do. They find it quite hard to do because that's their natural disposition. That's their natural potential. And therefore, you should focus more and more on the strengths and find which bits of interference is getting in the way of my strengths and how can I increase those strengths to another level. But equally, if there are some development points, what's getting in the way? What's stopping someone being a good communicator? What's stopping someone being productive? What's stopping someone you know, reaching the next level. And I think that's all about interference. Yeah, so I think it links to that as well. I think the other, and there's sort of loads of coaching tools or development tools, but we would have all heard of start, stop, continue. Yeah, it's a really easy, you know, model to employ. We were, we were talking about that last week in on the point of strategy, looking at it okay. at product level. No? If you want to grow yep. the products, do you, do you keep going with? Which products do you scrap because they're not profitable enough? Which ones? Yep. Start to get to your targets. Start, stop, continue, I think is a great model. It's really simple, isn't it? Yeah. And I think if you if you then apply that to people, you get to the same place. So again, one of the things I ask my team, probably every sort of half year, we're very, very good at starting things. We start a new report, we start a new process, we start a new product. We start all those things. What we have to ask ourselves is, well, what do we stop? Because what you find is, I think especially in finance teams, there is a level of inertia that, you know, someone produces a report every day, someone produces a report every week. There's a 100-page report that gets produced for the board, you know, at the end of the month. Hang on, should we stop some of those things? Because when you stop some of those things, you give people a bit more time. You give people a bit more time, the quality of what they do produce goes up, and you've taken away that interference. I think this P equals P minus I is actually core to some of those other themes around getting Efficiency is probably the wrong word, but getting people to perform at their very best, because that's what we all want as employees and leaders, I think. That's an interesting one, talking about stopping doing things, Julian. I take people through module three on our future CFO program, which is all about accelerating your development plan. And we start to generally before people have done module three, they'll have gone through the CFO competence framework and they'll have highlighted out of the 45 skills on there, which ones they've probably got some room for improvement. Yep. People are normally feeling reasonably overwhelmed as a result of realizing there's so much they could potentially improve. So module three is all about focusing in on the three or four things that are really going to matter and really going to make a difference. But one of the things I do while going through that is talk about if you're going to apply yourself into five or 10 hours of personal development time developing these skills in a week, well, what are you not going to do? Your 168 hours in a week is pretty full already. And you need to find the space from somewhere. And actually, I, I direct people to a book by a lady called Laura van der Kamp called 168 Hours. And she goes through the process of doing a time audit the process of analysing your time to get rid of the things you shouldn't be doing, how to focus on things. And it was all started from the premise of, well, some folks manage incredible things, other folks don't. What's the difference? And she's really highlighting this idea of start, stop, continue. Yeah, I think it's key. And it's something that, it's like a spring clean for me. You know, we are generally, as finance individuals, we are fantastic at Let's produce this report. Let's, you know, show something new or do something new. We're not very good at stopping things. And actually, when you stop things from happening, you find all sorts of efficiencies. You find 
different ways of looking things you find that you give people time back and actually they can spend that time on development but i think if we're honest if you look at all the activities that either you are doing or your team is doing i'm not sure you need to time analyze it and write a spreadsheet i think we all know those things we do which are potentially a waste of time you know the meetings we go to that you think well, do you know what we could do this in half an hour but it takes three hours or we could do it once a month but we tend to do it every week i think we all inherently know those things i think the most important thing is to take action on it you know don't procrastinate i think procrastination is one of the the real inefficiencies in a business and you want to be persistent you want to be observant and say where can i see we are probably wasting time or wasting resource or i'm wasting somebody else's time and you know sort of own up to it and think about it and then don't procrastinate just get on and change it you know change the meeting format change the meeting frequency change the report frequency you can always put it back but i think organizations especially big ones like as you might say kevin i've worked in big organizations and small organizations especially large organizations get caught in that inertia and that inertia going back to the sort of original topic of this conversation sometimes that inertia is what causes interference yeah i I guess the point i'm making is as a leader if you just stop for a minute and think where is that interference going on that interference could be in someone's head because they might have some personal stuff going on you know we all have personal things going on and maybe that is interfering what's going on so my thought might be, how can I make sure that person feels supported? The interference might be the environment they operate in, the people they work with, the tools they have to do their job. I think if, as a leader, if you really focus on that eye and you really think about it and you think about the individuals in your team, you'll find all sorts of stuff. And that's the thing for me to focus on. Yeah, totally agree. You mentioned meetings there in, in passing. Meetings, in my experience, can be a hard one because you've got somebody in your team that's very good, knows a lot about most things. So there are meetings going on across the business about changing this, changing that, needing advice on the other. Guess what? That person in your team is always one of the first people on the list that everybody wants in their meeting to come and talk. As a result, that person gets their diary full very quickly, probably feel as though they can't say no to an awful lot of these things. And possibly the job or the stuff that they're really supposed to be doing when not in a meeting is going to suffer because it's being cramped into too small a time gap. That's a difficult one in my experience to deal with. Is it difficult? I think, I think it goes back to if you honestly appraise what's happening and you don't just look at it and think, well, isn't it fantastic that you know, the, the person who works for me is, is so popular, you know, they're included in all these meetings, don't I feel good? If your real focus is, Go back to interference. That is interfering with their day job. Yeah, yeah. Is not getting that task list done is not getting the report done, and actually spending all their time talking to others. I think if I was CFO in that instance, I'd be having a conversation with my colleagues, saying, "Hang on a second. I know you want you know Bob or Jenny or whoever it is in that meeting every single day, but is it essential?" And and you often find, especially with people who are very good, that they're brought in, you know, just in case there's a question or. Let's have an hour's meeting. And actually, one of the things I think it has changed is since we've moved to some Zoom meetings, although I'm trying to sort of move away from those now, I think Zoom meetings actually become more focused. You have a conversation for half an hour. There's no sort of broader agenda. You just get on and do it. And I think it's made people really reflect on what is important. I think it's more difficult in the example you've raised, Kevin, about when somebody in your team is being pulled into other department meetings. 
But as CFO, if you want to keep your team efficient, you've got to challenge all of those because time is a finite resource. And personally, you know, I try to avoid this sort of presenteeism or, you know, long working hours makes me a hero. I really don't believe in that at all. If I find people sitting at their desk past sort of six o'clock, something's wrong. You're either not very good at your job or something has got in the way. So, yeah. so for me, I think there is 168 hours. There are 40 to 50 to 60 working hours a week. I'd rather my team engaged and motivated and doing what they feel is the right thing and doing what I think is the right thing than simply, you know, filling in a spot on a meeting agenda. So yeah. I think look at it and just be honest with yourself. That's great advice, Julian. And that long hours one's an interesting one as well. I think I've always agreed with you that I actually think long hours are counterproductive. I've been in organisations where people have been there past six o'clock just so the boss sees them there. Well, I hate cultures like that. But long hours, I think you can do long hours when there's a crisis on, when there's a project to get across the line, when there's some very good reason for doing it. But long hours on a regular basis, people, I think, become stale. Yeah, I think there are some industries where that is prevalent. So my oldest son was going to look to go into investment banking and he had umpteen interviews and graduates this year. And there was all this you know, heroic talk about doing 100-hour weeks and 19-hour days and working all weekends. And it was worn as like a badge of honour. And I think that's, you know, you kind of have to expect that if you go into certain industries. But day-to-day in sort of a finance world, it's a busy job. I would hate to think that any of my team are sitting, waiting until a certain time to go home. And, and I had a situation years ago, I won't say which employer, but as a sort of youngish finance manager, I was in a fairly big team. And we would start at seven in the morning every morning just because of the nature of the overall business. And the CFO would turn up at nine o'clock every morning because he had to come from centre of London, slightly further up north. This chap would disappear off at about 6.15. And I kid you not, as soon as that lift door shut, everybody else went, you know, 6.16. Because everybody wanted to be seen to be there. But the last couple of hours, people weren't productive. People were just waiting and clock watching until he went. And I looked at that and I thought, how ridiculous that all of these people feel they have to stay just to prove a point. And now I have found myself in many roles going around to people saying, why are you still here? Well, I've got this and this to do. Well, can you do it tomorrow? Well, I probably can. Why don't you just go home? Because, you know, if people go home, and, you know, switch on the TV, go to the pub, go to the gym, you know, do whatever they need to do. They normally come back in in a better, better sort of frame of mind. It's a real watch out, actually. Yeah. There are productive hours and there are non-productive hours. If you're having a non-productive hour, why are you sitting in front of your, your computer? I think there is also a difference in, in roles and responsibilities. So, you know, I, I work odd hours, I would say. So I'm normally up at six in the morning. I'm quite happy to be on my WhatsApp and messages to my colleagues at 6.15 in the morning when our first certain numbers come out. I'm quite happy to stay in the office till 7. I'm quite happy to work till 9. But on a different day, I might finish at 2 and just say, look, I'm going to go and do something this afternoon. I think as long as you can find that balance in your life, as long as you are flexible with people. I mean, for, my, for all of my teams, if someone says to me, look, I need to go at 2 because of something, I say, fine, I'll book it as holiday. Don't worry. Because I know that person will start at 7 or you know, do an hour at the weekend because I need to do something. It's give and take. And I think that's really important, that sort of trust and engagement. 
and care for the individual, I think is super important. But long hours for me are, if they're by choice and I, I choose to do the hours I do and I enjoy my work, I love my work. So for me, it's kind of a hobby, but I, I'm very lucky and I can sort of pick and choose my hours. I don't feel driven to work ridiculous hours I don't want to. I'm very much in the same school that you are there. And today's an example of that. We knew that we had young grandson to look after and he stayed overnight last night. So he was awake first thing this morning. I knew I'd need to be on duty first thing this morning, looking after him. Had a future of finance function session to do for gross CFO at lunchtime. Had slides to prepare. No, no way I can leave any of those till in the morning. So I was sitting at 10 o'clock last night, finishing them off. It's that yeah. flexibility. Yeah. But, but, but I think it does come back to all of those points about P equals P minus I and start, stop, continue, all those other little models. People have huge capacity. And in fact, typically, I think people have more capacity than they give themselves credit for. But if you can create efficiency, so someone, you know, it was, we, we did a simple stop exercise a couple of weeks ago. Right, let's look at all the reports we produce. And there were five or six reports that someone was spending 15 minutes every day producing every morning. But if you add all those up, and I'm not going to do the, the maths, but so, well, do we need to do them every morning? Well, yes. Why? Well, because we send them to you and the board. Yeah, but I know I read them probably every couple of days. I don't need to know every single day. Why don't we do it just once a week on a Tuesday? Well, let's try that. So guess what? We save ourselves four lots of 15 minutes times three or four reports, you know, several hours of people's time. And it's great. You know, I get the reports I need. I don't get them every day, but I don't need them every day. Nobody else is worried about it. And we've saved ourselves time. And those individuals who've now got 15 minutes back in their diary are now producing a higher quality of output on the other reports and the other work they're doing than they were just turning the handle. So I think making sure that link to longer hours, you know, making sure we've got people working efficiently and smartly not just for the organisational inertia that says we always do these things. Yeah. I think there's something as well, Julian, about giving people thinking time. Yeah. Uh, if you're flat out doing tasks, task one, task two, task three, and you're doing that in a mechanical way, you sometimes miss the thinking around, oh, well, there's a better way of doing this. I've often been in the middle of a project, and so I've found probably one of the most productive hours of the day is the hour I took the dog for a walk in the morning. Because you're actually thinking about what you've done and suddenly that little light bulb goes on that says, hang on, there's a better way of doing this. Absolutely. My director of finance, he always hates the well, He hates it when I go for a long drive because I'm maybe driving up to Warrington or down to Ferrum or somewhere because he, I utter these words. I've been thinking. He says, oh, God, what have you been thinking about? But you're absolutely right. He knows what's coming next, yes. Yeah, he does. He does. Because if I drive for two and a half hours somewhere, yes, okay, there's phone calls going on. But I do spend, it's normally quite early in the morning. I'll spend that time and things just, you know, flow through your brain. You think, oh, that'll be, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to give him a ring or give her a ring and find out, kick that idea around. I think that thinking time is more important than everyone gives you credit for. One of the things that I think all CFOs, all new CFOs, face a challenge with is you know when we're finance managers or controllers or fpna heads or whatever we love to produce things reports and business cases and and i think when you're in that cfo chair one of the things you have to do is just stop and think you know you just stop and you're right it could be taking a dog for a walk it could be having a coffee it could be you know having a chat with someone it could be 
you know, going to a dinner or going to a lunch or something. And and I think there is, it's interesting, my dad used to say to me, I get paid to think. That's ridiculous. But but you do. You know, the thinking time you in for me, maybe, you know, half past six in the morning, I might be thinking about, not in a stressful way, I might be thinking about a particular issue at work. And thinking, how am I going to deal with that? You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to get the right people involved? How am I going to move from A to B? That's working. We as CFOs or we as finance type people think if I'm not producing a report, producing a graph or putting a business case together or, you know, checking the balance sheet, I'm not actually doing anything. But sometimes the most productive times are the thinking and talking times because you get new ideas. I think that's right. Absolutely right. And so that's certainly it's my experience over the last 20 years has mostly been consulting, mostly doing projects. And that thinking time there is very important. How do I communicate this to the client? Yeah. How do yeah. I move this forward? How do I get past this roadblock? How do we sort out that issue? That's the issue, which actually brings you yeah. all the way back again to the I. You know, normally, normally those bits of thinking time are, that's in the way. That's a problem. Yeah. That's it. Yeah? So if you spend that time thinking about the interference, you take it away. Yeah. It's got to improve. So Absolutely. everything links back to the same three letters in that formula. Yeah, I think that is absolutely a great formula. Yeah. So performance equals potential minus interference. So we talk about interference. Interference sounds as though it's something we should be right on top of all the time. It's something we can do an awful lot about. That's kind of the easy win in there. But potential. Mm. We can, some potential is kind of, you've got your strength. You've got your weaknesses. We've talked about developing strengths, but there's some of it's skills. And mm -hmm. there's got to be an area in there that focus on skills and focus on improving that potential. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think for me, potential is largely focused on recruitment. You know, when I, yeah, when I yeah. recruit somebody, they may not have all the skills. And in fact, often you're recruiting, unless you're recruiting, you know, from the same industry, someone's doing the same job, they're unlikely to have all the skills they need. Personally, what I recruit for is attitude. Yeah. Capability, I would say, which is slightly different from potential. I think if you can spot potential and if you can get the right fit into the team and you can get the right individual who is normally focused on their own development, I think that makes a difference. Of course, you know, if you if you think about um, you know, someone who is facing a particular task or has a particular list of tasks in their job or wants to be promoted and moved up, move on. They will need some skills. You could argue either their lack of skills is the interference or the skills as the potential. It doesn't really matter where it sits. Certainly, if you can find opportunities to increase an individual's skill set, that's going to help performance because they'll know tactically how to do something. And I think there's a whole different you know, thesis and kind of chapter around how you enrich somebody's potential. I think for me, this particular P was P minus I. I mean, you can extend it into all different you know, elements. I think it really is saying, you know, individuals have potential. We all have potential. You know, you obviously have more potential than I do just because, you know, but you know what I mean? Everyone has potential for different things. We are all, we all have interference in our minds. So yes, we should develop skills. Yes, we should be coached and trained and given opportunities. But normally what is holding people back is interference, in my experience. I think if you look at all of those three parts of the formula, I think what it's telling you to do is, don't just say, come on, I can get more performance. And if you take your example, well, maybe I need to give someone the skills, but actually probably there's some interference in the way. Skills might be, you know, we've got somebody in our team who 
finds it very difficult to speak publicly, even though in a small meeting, she is, you know, super confident. I'd never have believed it. Put her on a call, kind of all goes wrong. And so what we've done over time is just helped and supported and talked and given opportunities. And you could argue that is upskilling that particular individual or actually the interference is, you know, what's in her mind? You know, what you come across so fantastically well. Why do you think this is an issue? And the interference is probably almost certainly in our mind. So I think those enhancing skills and removing interference kind of go hand in hand. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. But I suppose there's one lesson above all others that, generally speaking, nobody shows up at work to do a bad job. Most people, majority of people don't. Majority of people show up to do a good job. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think if you, you know, we all have a slightly different disposition. Some people are very, you know, optimistic. Some are pessimistic. Some are, you know, very trusting. Some are very cynical. If I look at my own uh, sort of mindset, I'm very optimistic and very trusting, which probably is the antithesis of a CFO. A CFO is normally pessimistic and cynical, but, you know. Yes. <laughs> and I think what I try to do is I will trust my people to, you know, move on and progress and, and do the right thing and come into work with a decent attitude. But if I'm proved otherwise and I get a suspicion that someone is not not reaching peak performance because people can't be at peak performance all the time, but is not engaged, the first question I've got for myself is why? What are we doing wrong that means you've gone from, you know, this particular disposition to that particular disposition? So, yeah, I'm with you. I believe that everyone turns up to do a decent job. Some people turn up to an excellent job. Some people turn up to an okay job. There's the odd person here and there that, you know, throw a spanner in the works, but I think they're few and far between. My experience is that few and far between as well. But I think one of the things that that brings back to me is the folk around you, the folk that work with you, the folk that work for you, you need to know them very well. Mm. You need to know know, what makes them tick. And you need to, to have that second sense of that person isn't quite right today. Why? Yeah, and it's how to deal with it, you know. And some people are very private. You know, and that's, that's yeah. absolutely their right. Yes. You have to be very careful not to not to tread too far. But Absolutely, yes. How many times have we been asked, or how have we asked somebody else, how are you? And the answer is, I'm fine. And then you find out, I don't know, two days later, six weeks later, that actually somebody isn't fine. But you can normally tell, I think you're right, the point about being tuned into people, if you just, it sort of goes back to giving that thinking time if you spend all your time, especially as a CFO, on tasks and business cases and reports, and you don't stop and think, actually, how's my team really doing? If they were my children or my siblings or my you know, family, whatever, what would I be thinking about you know, how they're doing? And that care and attention is really important. Equally, if you go back to the example, there is occasionally one person in the team who is just not working for whatever reason. You have to deal with those things instantly. Yeah, absolutely. In whatever circumstance. Yeah, but you've mentioned two things, Julian, that have been things that I've spotted have been issues in the working from home period we've all come through. And number one, you talked about those car journeys. We've all been working from home. That sort of division between work and home life of getting in the car, getting on the bus, getting on the tube, whatever it is, and traveling. And kind of switching off and having that reflective period to me, that's something that's been missing. But the second one is just out of what we've said there. 
quite often if I'm if I've been running a project team, I'll be sitting in the office around that team and probably not overly managing them, but you'd have an ear on the conversation or what was going on or what people were doing. And you'd kind of be intuitively know when to step in. But team working remotely, you're only picking up at specific times on Zoom meetings for specific things. That's a whole thing that we lost. Yeah. Very yeah. And I'd, I'd like thinking, to be able to say I've got to junior people on the team. Yeah. I'd like to be able to say that I've got relevant experience in that. I mean, we all spent a long time working from home. I think for my team, we got back to the office as soon as we possibly could. And now we have a perfect relationship, perfect um, working situation where we work in the office normally three days a week and at home or somewhere else for two. And it absolutely works for everybody. But in the time we were working from home, it is hard because you don't, you get the very transactional teams calls. Like I was saying earlier, you know, it does keep meetings quite short because you have a teams call for, you know, 12 minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour, but you lose that personal interaction. You lose that, you know, how was your weekend? And, you know, the real sense of understanding somebody. I mean, the only thing that, if I think back to, was probably April, May 20, so the beginning of sort of working from home cycle. One of the things we did as a board is each day we'd pick a couple of people and just give them a ring. Yep. And it wasn't a ring, you know, hi, it's Julian, can you do these things for me? It was, hi, how's things? And you know what? When we first did it, people went, uh, yeah, why? And so I'm just, I'm just fancying how you are. You know, I'm fine. What do you need? I don't need anything. I'm just... This is the conversation we would have had in the office. Standing I'm just checking in. Yeah, just making sure things are okay. And, you know, it took a couple of calls and a couple of weeks for people to say, yeah, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. And actually, then you start to get people to say, how are you? And you go, yeah, I'm good, thank you. And it's, I mean, it's easier in a smaller organisation. We've only got 250 people. So if you split it up between five or six people, you can get through. I mean, that sounds really callous, doesn't it? With a smaller organisation, it's easier to keep in touch with people. But if you've got a team of 10 people, there's absolutely no reason why you can't, if you're working from home, pick up the phone and have an absolutely non-work conversation. Absolutely no reason why not. You don't find the time, and some people do find it odd. You know, I, if I think about the spectrum of people that work for me, there are some who you can't get off the phone. They'll be telling you about their weekend and their kids and their dog and their others. Are, it's very difficult. But even those ones who find it very difficult, I know it means something to them. Yeah. Because someone's just checking in. You know, you're right. Yeah, I'm fine. And then six weeks later, which well, you know I'm finding this working from home thing a bit hard. Okay, why? And you know, you get into it. And I think it's just allocating that time to just think about somebody else for a minute. Yeah. And again, that comes back to removing the interference. You get that sort of relationship with somebody where you're both asking each other how you're getting on, whatever. Mm. They're they're far more likely to come to you and say, There's a problem that's stopping me getting this done, Julian. Then you think yeah. you can do about it. Yeah, exactly. It's all about relationships and trust, isn't it? You know, if your employees trust you and you know you trust them, it's the foundation for a relationship where someone can say, Look, I think we should change this. It takes a while to get there. Yes. Um, and it's a difficult thing, but once you've got it, it transforms all discussions, I think. Yeah. Julian. There is some fantastic stuff in that conversation. Oh, thank you. Such, thank such you. a simple... It's called, it's called waffling, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's called soft skills to me. It's called life yeah. skills. It's called people skills. And you know, we learned all about how to do double-entry bookkeeping in the classroom. 
this stuff is you can only pick it up by experience and by doing it and by finding out other people's experiences. And often there is no absolute right answer. And just having having you on the podcast sharing this stuff this afternoon, Julian's just been incredible. So I just yeah. like to say thank you hugely for coming Pleasure. back and being a guest again on the Gross CFO show. Pleasure. Anytime, Kevin.